Oh, there we go. Hello, everybody, and thank you for coming along to listen to the Whole Body Podcast. So excited. I've been wanting to chat to Nikki for a long, long time. And if you don't follow Nikki on Instagram, you need to have a look at her page. It's called Biochem Nick. That's right, isn't it? Nikki is a single mum of two Biochem girls. Nikki, yeah. Biochem Nikki. So she's living, uh, so she's a mum of two girls. She's living in Newcastle in Australia doing all this study looking after her babies, amazing. She's currently studying full-time Bachelor of Nutrition and Dietetics with honours and a Bachelor of Biomedical Science, a really brain, hard brain work, I would imagine. She's very passionate about health and particularly autoimmunity, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. And Nikki is, is in charge to change the face of dietetics industry in Australia. So she's at the forefront carrying the banner and getting some changes happening. So welcome, Nikki. Thank you for giving me some of your time. I really appreciate because I know how busy you must be with your studies and your babies and running a household. How are you feeling? <laughs> well, thank you, for, thank you for having me on. It's really, I love doing stuff like this because it's just so great to be able to get the message out there. I think the more, the more we can get the message out there and try to change people's opinion a little bit, it's certainly... Um, it's a it's a hard world to break into, I think. Um, you know, and and I think people find it interesting. Certainly, talking to somebody, I guess, that is in dietetics, but doesn't really agree with the um, the way that it's it's taught. Social, and there the doesn't, social. interestingly, there doesn't seem to be many people who are on the same page. Mm -mm. I have found this a lot. I have found this yeah. a lot. So today we're predominantly talking about autoimmunity with maybe a little bit of thyroid thrown in and a bit of a metabolism uh, information. So let's start, if you could explain to us, to the listeners, what is autoimmunity and why does it exist? That just cut out a little bit there. I think you said um, what is autoimmunity and why does it exist? That's right, yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just excuse my internet, guys. I, I think it might be mine, but we'll see how we go. Um, yeah, look, autoimmunity is really a topic that I'm truly passionate about. I think, you know, it's been a really, really fun um, learning about metabolic health and, and certainly understanding the low-carb way and how that affects metabolic health. But really it's autoimmunity that I think is something that really holds my passion and because um, I can see that it is just absolutely insidious. There's so many different types of autoimmune disorders out there and I, I find it fascinating. The more people I talk to, the more I see how autoimmunity can come out in people and it's just fascinating. Um, and so, I, I mean, I came from a, a, an autoimmune background as well. And, I mean, I've seen some really severe autoimmune conditions. Thankfully, I never had anything severe that I was hospitalised or anything, but just annoying, frustrating, awful things all the time, you know, like asthma and rhinitis and, you know, rashes, headaches. Um, I've got this other thing called Raynaud's that I, I believe is autoimmune to me the the pathology of it would sense that it's autoimmune but it hasn't really there's not much information out there to confirm that it is so I'm just trying to understand why do some people get these conditions and why do some people not get them like for example my two brothers and the rest of my family um so it's, it's certainly a passion of mine and 
And what I can see is that there are, it's multifactorial, so there's unfortunately not really a, a straight answer, but there certainly seems to be quite a few factors that, you know, play quite a big role into why somebody might develop an autoimmune disorder. Yeah. And what, what would be some of those factors? So a big one is definitely genetics. And I, I did a, a talk recently for the um, uh, for a low-carb long weekend and I was so excited yeah. to be able to do this topic because it really allowed me to just really delve deep into what is going on here. And I learned a lot. Um, and I guess what I explained in that talk that I think is quite important when we're talking about autoimmunity is to sort of talk about, firstly, what our immune system should do in a normal situation and then compare that to how it can sort of go awry. And, you know, really we have this system in our body that is kind of like immunosurveillance. It's it's this ability for our body to be able to determine what should be here, what is in our body that's native and that shouldn't be attacked and what is actually foreign and it does need to be attacked. And so we have these mechanisms to be able to determine that and as our white blood cells, like, for example, like our, um, our T and B cells are maturing, they develop, they're developing a, an ability to be able to determine what's foreign and what is not. Because, of course, it makes sense that if we, if our own cells, our own immune cells are attacking our own tissue, this is what's going wrong with autoimmunity. And if our cells are doing this, they, we can't have them. They need to be killed off. And so as they're maturing, our T and B cells, if they can't figure out what's foreign and what's not, then they straight away get killed off. And one of the ways that we can, um, you know, develop this ability to, 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 to recognise what's part of our body and what's not is we have these special molecules called MHC molecules. And we have these MHC1, which is um, it's kind of like, yeah, here we go. So um, I'm going to try and say it. it. It is called a major histocompatibility complex or MHC. Well and yes. they kind of serve as, as like a special protein on, on our cells that will either serve as a name tag and say, I am part of the body, don't attack me. Or they will be used by, um, you know, pathogen presenting cells, part of our immune system to sort of say, look, I have been, you know, attacked by something foreign, come and attack. So it's kind of like a way of being able to recognise and show what should or shouldn't be there. And so it's obviously very important for our own cells to be able to have one of these functioning MHC molecules because it will be able to say, don't attack me, like I'm, I'm native. And so one of the really big factors that can go wrong with autoimmunity is genetics. And it's been shown that, some people can have a, a malfunctioning MHC. So it makes sense how if that's malfunctioning or it's just not working at all in a certain mm. tissue, how that can end up being, um, you know, the causing confusion in the body and then we end up attacking it. And the thing with the, the immune sy system is that it's very, very effective at attacking whatever it's going to attack, you know, and that's what allows us to be able to, live day in day out without dying basically and being mm. exposed to numerous different microbes and things like that and and sometimes not even noticing it um and so i guess where the issue arises is that if our body does get confused the attack mechanisms that we have in our body are very very effective at destroying like uh, i mean our, for example our t cells are able to release out these you know endotoxins and things like that that are able to just completely break down tissue and so 
that's a big one. Having a, an issue with your MHC is is certainly one. And I read a really interesting study that was looking at, you know, a lot of different autoimmune disorders, some of the um, really common ones, including um, type 1 diabetes. And it showed that one thing that they do have in common is a malfunctioning MHC. So that's interesting. Um you know, other factors as well, unfortunately, some of them we can't really control. Things like being expo exposed to actual microbes can, uh, you know, trigger autoimmune um, issues down the track. And really the reason for this mainly is that if we are attacked by a, some kind of pathogen, like, for example, a bacteria, they themselves are able to release out nasty chemicals that will just directly destroy our cells. But also if they are, um, you know, if, if they are affected by, if our own cells are affected by some kind of nasty pathogen, like, for example, a, a virus gets into one of our cells, then our immune system will come over and recognise it and then try to attack it. But then, of course, at the same time, our own cells are getting destroyed and spilling things out. Um, some cells surrounding it can get kind of caught in the crossfire. And what happens here is that then parts of, the cell that should be inside the cell kind of gets spread out into the vicinity. And it's really important to understand with autoimmunity that if there's things that are, if anything is in a space that it shouldn't be, that, you know, even if it's something like DNA that's part of our body, that it shouldn't be an issue. But if that goes from inside the cell to the outside of the cell, that's going to be targeted as foreign and we're going to start attacking it. So, you know, microbes and things like that are certainly a bit of a problem too. Um, a big one for us these days is that we're exposed to a lot of crap. You know, we are exposed to a lot of just chemicals all around us. We're exposed to, um, you know, things that are put on food, glyphosate, you know, a lot of different yeah. um, toxins yeah. that we either ingest or we're just exposed to with pollution. Um, so, you know, that, that's a problem because these are just chemicals that are disrupting our cells and, and, and killing our cells. And, and again, the same sort of pathogenesis happens. But one thing I did talk quite a bit about, um, in the, in the talk that I did was that, um, you know, we also consume a lot these days of these particular types of molecules called lectins that are in a lot of plants. In fact, almost all yeah. plants that I know of, and they are quite heavily involved in, cross reactivity and and they can sort of stir up a bit of autoimmunity as well so um yeah so that's another one and and then <laughs> sorry i could just keep going on about this topic then there's leaky gut Where, i mean there's just so many things light. that can uh yeah that can sort of stimulate this process so can you heal sorry, your say that again. so can you heal your mhc complex if it's faulty genetically what can you do to try and protect that to protect that mechanism from firing and causing you problems well this is something that I have been trying to understand for a while because I'm thinking to myself if there are big genetic things like this that are a problem with autoimmunity how is it that somebody like myself can heal it like what what is actually happening why is it that you can heal it with mm. diet if it's just if it's a genetic deformity surely you can't heal that but from my understanding what i'm seeing is it could be you know i guess what i can now see is that 
constantly we are, you know, our cells are always changing and we are always getting signals from different things in the body like hormones and this, that and whatever. And they can tell our genes to either be replicated or not so that we can make certain proteins or not make certain proteins. And so if we are in a place where we are metabolically healthy and we're we are properly with the right hormones or the right triggers, the right proteins, we're telling our bodies to be able to create the right proteins, then likely we will be able to create proteins that aren't faulty formed in some way. On if we are, you know, experiencing, um, yeah, yeah. And if we're experiencing, for example, deficiencies in certain nutrients, like for example, certain amino acids, our ability to be able to build proteins that work properly is going to be not working properly as well. So it's very important to make sure that we're eating all the correct nutrients. Absolutely. Um, You know, other things and, and where I think it's interesting that metabolic health can kind of tie in with autoimmunity is that if we are experiencing, you know, a lot of um, oxidative stress, reactive oxygen species people might have heard of, um, you know, free radicals or even um, just having a lot of glucose in our bloodstream all the time, both of these things can actually disrupt the way that proteins are able to function. And what can basically happen is that either you can get this glycation, which is where you have a lot of glucose particles in the bloodstream and they can just very easily bind onto proteins. They really like to bind onto proteins. So they can bind onto red blood cells. But basically because we have everything in our body is basically made of protein that can bind to any protein. And then what happens is that changes the shape of that protein. If you have a protein, for example, and then on it has a little bit of carbohydrate attached to it, it's not going to function yep. the same way because it you know, might be a receptor or it might be an enzyme, um, you know, for example, LDL particles, we have all these little receptors waiting for yes. them at the liver. And if those receptors have been changed by glycation, they're not going to be able to receive the LDL particles. And it's the same yep. thing with the reactive oxygen species. If our membranes on our cells are changing and affecting the way that proteins are able to function, we won't be able to, they won't be able to do their job properly. And I believe, um, I haven't found any really good data on this, but it would make complete sense to me that this could be happening to MHC. It could be happening to proteins on our, for example, thyroid gland that, you know, receive signals to get to make our thyroid hormones. So I hope that answers the question. But I think, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think we can change the way that these proteins are able to function for the I think the more that I learn about the human body and about nutrient-dense food and, you know, the ability to build muscle or to build whatever we're building in our bodies, if we're not giving it the right nutrients to begin with, as you've said, it doesn't doesn't grow properly. So to try and grow a strong muscle, you need to have that good quality protein to build that muscle. Or if you want to have strong hair, you have to eat the protein to build this or your fingernails or your skin to look to keep trying to keep a youthful appearance you know I'm talking about an older lady all of these things help so you have to make sure that you're eating a good healthy protein rich diet with some healthy fats that's the next subject that I've um, I'm on to at the minute eating healthy fats so recently you um 
put through on your Instagram stories about your parasite that you healed yourself from. So if you're able to delve into that, tell us how that felt and how you discovered it. What did it feel like and how do you now feel? Yeah, so it was very interesting and it was a quite a, um, an interesting learning uh, curve for me. I'm a bit of a naughty girl because I, um, I let it go probably too long and then it really disrupted things. So um, I, I was just getting chronic diarrhoea. I didn't get any other symptoms and I kept thinking, oh, maybe, maybe it's just post being sick IBS. You know how sometimes you can, you can get a bit of a gastro thing and then it can take a little while for, for your body to just you know, get back that nice bacteria and all that. So I thought maybe it's just that. And I thought I don't want to take any antibiotics. I don't like taking antibiotics. So I thought I'll just let my body heal it on my on its own and I'm eating all the right foods, so it'll be fine. Um, but I did leave it too long and I left it about sort of, I hate to say it, but about five months and then Christmas hit. And by the time I actually <laughs> did a, a, a proper stool sample, yeah, I, I, I guess it was it was that, but it was also me thinking, bugger this, I'm going to be able to heal this myself. I don't want to have to take anything for this. I'm going to do this on my own. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a learning curve to see that despite having a perfect, I think, diet and trying to live my life as perfect as I can, we're all exposed to things and we can't avoid that. And sometimes we have to kind of go with with um you know medicine and and yes. and this is where we're lucky is we we do have things like antibiotics available to us um and i think if we can try to bring the two worlds together you know looking at an ancestral way of living that we don't rely on you know pharmaceuticals all the time but then also bringing in the fact that sometimes we do need pharmaceuticals and thank yeah. god we have them and we can get past these things because i wasn't healing it on my own but i ended up having um two different things and um, one was called eucinia and that was apparently in my in my large intestine and then I had uh, uh, H. pylori which is very very common and very very interesting H. pylori you yeah something like 80% of the population apparently has H. pylori it's very easy to catch and in fact if one person in the family has it it's almost certain that other people in the family will have it too. Um, that was going to be and it question. doesn't it always, catch? yeah, I, look, I, I mean, I probably should test my little kitties, but they haven't had any symptoms. Um, I kind of assumed that it wasn't H. pylori actually because it was just diarrhoea that I was getting and I was under the assumption that H. pylori was more of a stomach issue and that you experience indigestion and things like that and which I I had none of um but I certainly came back with H pylori as well so I treated both of them and um certainly feeling a lot better quite quickly within about a month things went back to to normal and now I'm just working on rebuilding the really good bacteria and trying to feed it feed my my gut with all the foods that the bacteria like um, but yeah, they, these, these microbes, um, they can do a bit of damage. And I think it's, I, I guess what I would probably like to do is once a year, even if I'm not getting symptoms, do a stool sample and, and have a little look and just make sure, uh, that there isn't anything in there because it, it's amazing how easy it is to get these things and, um, not, a, not always easy to get rid of on your own either. 
Good point. Good point. I know that I've, you know, I've used the um, medical way of healing me. So I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and if I hadn't have had the medical system, I wouldn't be here. So it is necessary. It is necessary. Mm -hmm. We need to have these guys that have studied for years and years and years and and brought their uh, intelligence through to heal us. So talking about Mm -hmm. metabolism, what do you, how would you describe metabolism and what increases your metabolic rate? Because we hear so many different stories about this. What's Nikki's take on that? Yeah, well, it's it's quite in. Uh, I did a post on this the other day because I, I find it very interesting and and it makes com- complete sense, but it is also very intricate. And I think where people go wrong, obviously, is that you know there's this huge emphasis on it's calories in, calories out, and and while and while I think that is certainly it is important, um, it is something that we need to consider. It's just a tiny little part of the story. I mean, there's so many hormones that are involved in our metabolism. Like, for example, our thyroid hormones are, um, you know, our growth hormone. And these hormones are going to actually, you know, make our cells start building more enzymes that are able to break down more, more fuel substrates. There's so much going on. And so the post that I was talking about the other day was basically just talking about like you could be on a really, really low calorie diet. You could be eating like under a thousand calories. But if you're, for example, your thyroid isn't working properly, you're not pumping out enough of the thyroid hormones, you're not going to get the signal by those hormones to say, we need to upregulate enzymes to break down more fuel substrates. And then you're going to have a really, really hard time. And so what we want to do is put our body into a position where it recognizes that we need to break some things down. We, we, we have enough that we can use. And by putting your body in a, in a situation, like for example, you have nice and low insulin levels a lot of the time and your other hormones are working properly and they're able to tell the cells to do this, this is what's going to create a fast metabolism. And so, I mean, there's so many parts to play in this, but I think this is where autoimmunity can can kind of come in as well. Like I said about the thyroid gland is if the Mm -hmm. thyroid gland's not working properly, you know, this this whole thing isn't going to work. Um, But really it comes down to how many of the enzymes do we have that are involved in breaking down the fuel substrates. Like if if we're talking about glycolysis, we're breaking down glucose that we've just eaten, there's something like, I'm, I might be, I'm just grabbing a number off the top of my head. I can't actually remember off the top of my head, but there's something like eight, eight different steps. So eight different enzymes yep, that are involved in glycolysis yes. themselves. Yes. And then when it comes to fatty acid oxidation, you then have enzymes that are involved in this. This is the breaking down of, of uh, fat, beta oxidation. There's enzymes involved in, you know, the, the Krebs cycle. There's enzymes involved in the uh, electron transport chain and if we get signals from our hormones that we want to break down more of these fuel substrates, we're going to make more of these enzymes. So the more of these enzymes that we have, the more we're officially able to break down and, and make and use for fuel. So um, I think this is where the calories in, calories out thing just doesn't stand. <laughs> so just talking about thyroid, because you did do a um, little story a little while ago about thyroid so i'm hoping your brain isn't overloaded with your exams and you can remember um, i'm throwing <laughs> you in the deep end 
What should you look for in your thyroid blood work to know that your thyroid is functioning? Is it different for everyone or are we all, is there a bell curve that we need to fall in or how do you know whether or not your thyroid's working properly? Because a lot of GPs don't seem to understand. It's quite a complex subject. Yeah, it's it's definitely a complex subject and it definitely becomes even more complex, I think, when we're talking about somebody who's on a standard Australian, standard American diet or somebody who's on a low-carbohydrate diet um, because the, the levels will certainly change. I think the biggest one is symptoms, of course. Are you experiencing oh. symptoms? And because the thyroid seems to be, for whatever reason, seems to be one of the biggest uh, organs to be attacked by autoimmunity, it's so mm. common to have issues with the thyroid and so these symptoms, you know, you might be getting will give you an idea as to, first of all, is there something going on with my thyroid? And if there is, is it overactive? Is it underactive? Because the thyroid, one of its biggest jobs for the thyroid hormones is to uh, organise energy and to um, organise the breakdown of energy and stimulate more energy breakdown. So, um if we are experiencing low thyroid function, we're not pumping out enough of our thyroid hormones, we're going to feel lethargic. We're going to feel probably tired all the time. Things in our body are going to sort of slow down a lot. You know, we might experience constipation, dry skin. You know, our hair might sort of just not be, it might just look a bit dull, things like that. And and yeah. that is, I think, quite common. And, and, of course, having just tiredness is a bit of a difficult one to, um, you know, is it, is it because I'm tired because of my thyroid? Is it other things? Um, and this is where it's then useful to also be able to look at antibodies as well and to ask your doctor to to look at, uh, do a full thyroid panel, including antibodies. Um, yeah. Because if you notice that your um, anti thyroid antibodies are raised, then of course it's likely an autoimmune reason that your thyroid isn't functioning properly. But as I said, it could even be overactive and the really interesting thing about autoimmunity and the thyroid is that, as I said, it, it, it can both be caused by autoimmune um, issues. You could have overactive thyroid or underactive thyroid. And with underactive, it's usually because the thyroid gland itself is being attacked and therefore it's just not able to pump. The cells are being sort of destroyed and they're not able to be pumping out, uh, you know, the hormones that we require. But with overactive thyroid, the antibodies can actually bind onto the receptors in the thyroid and overstimulate the production of thyroid hormones. So it's really fascinating. Um, again, you would be looking for the same antibodies. I'm just looking at this and it would be anti-TPO and anti... Uh, let me get back to you on that one. I should have written that one down. But you want to ask your doctor to check your, your thyroid antibodies for sure. Um, mm -hmm. If you've got overactive thyroid, it's interesting because it's going to be basically the opposite of underactive. You know, you, you're going to be just overstimulated. You might be losing weight, unable to sort of cope with, um, with heat. You might look a bit flushed all the time. You might feel like you're sweating a lot, um, which can obviously be difficult for, for women particularly because these sort of thyroid disorders do tend to happen more, uh, you know, as we're getting older. And then how do you determine is it? the thyroid that's the issue and am I experiencing uh, Graves' disease, which is an overactive thyroid, or I had is it that I'm just about to go through menopause? You know, it's yeah. oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I had Graves' disease and it was very, very, like overnight it developed. Overnight my eyes popped out 
I had to have them actually put back in because they popped out and I couldn't close my lids and they just streamed with oh, tears wow. because my eyes were trying to uh, keep them not not to dry out. Um, my heart, my resting heart rate was just off right. the dial. I um, I think in a week I lost eight kilos of body weight. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. I was nervous. I couldn't sleep. I was jumping around like I was on some kind of, I don't know, neurotic drug or something. It was terrible. Um, but that has dissipated and now it's fine. But I really feel for people that have that problem because it's nasty. It's nasty and it just gets you. Well, for me it was just and, instant. And I think this, this is a really interesting example of what we were just talking about with metabolism before because, as, as, as I was saying, the thyroid is one of the biggest stimulators of us upregulating enzymes that we need to break down fuels and if your thyroid is overactive, it's going to hyper exaggerate this response. It's going to make your body create too much breakdown. And it just goes to show how strong it is really and, and just how much of an impact the thyroid actually, hormones do have on this process. I was talking to a GP just yesterday and he said that he was reading a really old medical book on thyroid because uh, he's starting to delve into this. And from the book he has uh, understood that for men the thyroid is their third testicle. This is how he explained it to me. And for women the thyroid is your third ovary. That's how important they are in your body, the, the, the thyroid wow. gland in your body. That's how he's. That's what he's learned out of this book. So I've got to I get the name. Yeah, I think what we go wrong with these days in in medicine is that we see our body as separate organs separate sections and that they don't interact but every hormone is in some way related to you know i was only just reading today about prolactin and we know that prolactin is heavily involved in milk when when we're breastfeeding but there's Mm. not really a whole lot of information out there about prolactin and its other effects but Prolactin is heavily related to dopamine. And if you have overactive yes. dopamine, you it can affect your, your prolactin, which can then down the down the road affect your um, um you know your your sex hormones and your ability to ovulate and your ability to have a period. And it's just fascinating. So there is nothing in the body that is completely benign. And I think no, this is where hopefully medicine will go, is that we'll start to see it as a full body and how interrelated not it is. Reductionist, not reductionist, more holistic because it works. Exactly. I think when I was doing my degree, the history of medicine is that uh, the doctors were taught and I think probably still are about a reductionist view, which is taking each body part and learning about that body part but not understanding all the hormones or how they all interrelate with each other because we're magnificent beings, aren't we, when you look at a cellular level, we're just oh goodness, what goes on is crazy. Crazy, crazy. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I think we've covered a great big broad section. I mean, we could talk forever and ever, but I know you've got your life to get back to. So, Nikki, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the podcast. I really value your input into the world. I think you're doing a marvellous job. And I can't see, I can't wait to see where Nikki ends up, what you end up doing because you're so young and you know so much and you're doing things. It's great. So thank you. 
Well, thank, and, um, thank you so much for having me. And uh, we will talk again, I'm sure. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See you soon.